1: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. I am Dan Lobby.
2: I'm Mary Kay Cabot.
1: And I'm Scott Patsco. And it is full off-season mode here on the Orange and Brown Talk Podcast. We uh, we did a call-out for some listener questions. We're going to get to those at the end. We got a few of those we'll, we'll circle back to. But we came up with some questions of our own as well that we're going to talk about coming off of minicamp. Uh, we're a little lucky this week because most teams are either doing mini camp this week or the final week of their OTA sessions. The Patriots, I think, canceled their last week of OTA sessions this week, as Bill Belichick is prone to do. Um, they went and played paintball, I think I, I saw somewhere. So there's that. Uh, but we don't have mini camp this week. The Browns were ahead of schedule because they hired a new coach. They started their program early. Uh, so we are done until training camp. But that doesn't mean we aren't going to ask some questions. So let's get to it. First topic, it's been the topic of discussion since last week, Duke Johnson. Um, You know, we talked about the trade request. We've talked about what has been said in its wake. Freddie Kitchens, though, has come out and said over and over again, Duke Johnson has a role on this football team. So let's figure it out. Does Duke Johnson, Mary Kay, have a role on this football team?
2: Well, I don't think he should have a role on this football team anymore, and I wrote a column about that this week. I think when you've got Baker Mayfield standing up there at the podium in his interview and saying that Duke Johnson's situation is self-inflicted and kind of basically calling him out like that, and then again when you've got Duke's agent's husband, rapper Luther Campbell, clapping back at Baker you know, with some expletives and things like that. I just don't think this is worth it anymore. And even if you just take the agent's husband out of the equation, I still think that when Baker Mayfield is standing up there talking about Duke like that, I think it's over. Because I don't think he said that in a vacuum. I think that was indicative of what he's hearing from other people in the organization. The vibe about Duke right now uh, inside the building just isn't good. And Duke doesn't want to be here. He'd like to go have a fresh start somewhere. He'd like to go somewhere where he's wanted and valued. So at this point, I don't think it's worth it. And not only has Kareem Hunt made him expendable or will in Week 9, but Dontrell Hilliard is making him expendable. And I think that's real. I think they really believe that he can step in and be their third down back. So I don't think there's any reason to have this distraction anymore when this is a football team that's trying to achieve great heights this year.
0: Hmm. Scott? You don't want to get into a social media argument with Mr. (laughs) 2 Live Crew. I'm just, Baker Mayfield, I think, should stand down at this point. You know, Colin Cowherd's one thing. (laughs) I don't think this is a territory he wants to wade into. Um, As far as Duke goes, I I, I agree with you, Mary Kay. I don't see see the point in in going forward, especially definitely not going into minicamp at this point. There is nothing that Duke Johnson brings to this team right now that you look at the roster and think, Well, they can't replace that somehow. You know, Dontrell Hilliard is does not have the resume that Duke has. He's not guaranteed to go out there and and, and, and even have the season that Duke had last season, which was a big drop off from his spectacular twenty seventeen. But you do have somebody who has that skill set. And then you have Kareem Hunt in your back pocket, you know, eight weeks down the road. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense when the guy has doubled down on not wanting to be here, when the quarterback is no longer in his camp, it seems. Um, I'm sure Freddie Kitchens has a package for him. It would be kind of irresponsible for the coach not to create something like that on offense for someone who has such versatility and creates mismatches. But um, I think uh, you could probably start crumpling that up and throwing it in the wastebasket because I don't see the point in going into training camp with him.
1: I personally don't think it does any harm. Uh, you know, I, I understand that. I understand what Baker said, I understand what, what, his, what Duke said, um, but the reality is Duke did show up last week because he had to, and he did what he was supposed to do at practice. Obviously, we're not in that building, we don't see what happens in meeting rooms, we don't see all of that stuff, but it seems like Duke Johnson showed up, was a professional, and did what he's supposed to do. Um, I, I think he can do that again at the end of July. I think he can do that again when the preseason games start. And I think he can do it again when the real games start. I mean, Duke Johnson has never really been a problem for this team, even when he's been unhappy with his touches. He's never stood in front of us and been like, I want the ball more, you know, caused a problem. Maybe he's sort of indicated it here and there, but he's never really caused a problem. He's just sort of shown up and done what he's supposed to do. I think he can sustain that. And I think until Kareem Hunt comes back at least, you know, why Why not? If the guy's going to show up and do his job and, and not be a problem and do what he's supposed to do for half the season, great. And then, it, you know, maybe you trade him at the trade deadline. Maybe you cut him after the season because he'll only have, what, like a year left on his deal at that point. Um, I, I understand the argument that what he said and what Baker said makes it unsustainable. I, I think maybe it does boil over at some point, but I do think, you know, when Freddie Kitchen says stuff, he means it. It gets lost sometimes because he's a real personable guy, and sometimes he'll say some things and say, oh, you know what, don't don't go with that. But Freddie Kitchens, every word he says seems has struck me as very premeditated. Um, so when he says Duke Johnson has a role on this team, I think he does. And, uh, you know, I, I think the Browns can try and make this work unless somebody blows them away with an offer. I don't think they're ready to trade him for, like, a seventh-round pick, and I don't think they're going to get better than that right now. But there might come a point where some team calls them up and makes them that Carlos Hyde type. What did they get for Carlos Hyde? A 5th mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, so maybe that situation plays out again. And somebody calls up John Dorsey and says, we'll give you a fifth. You know that Kareem Hunt's coming back now. You've made it through seven or eight weeks now, and you're you're pretty confident Kareem Hunt's going to make it back on the field. Here's a fifth-round pick, and maybe John Dorsey mm-hmm. does it then. Um, I, I, I still wouldn't be
0: in a rush to move on from Duke Johnson. I'm still surprised that Duke Johnson showed up at minicamp. If you want to be traded... It would cost him a lot of money not to. That's true, but then you show up at minicamp and, and you you know you repeat that you want to be traded, but but you'll show up and you'll play. Now we get to training camp. I guess we're assuming that if he isn't traded by then, that he's showing up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Then he's still gonna. I'm assuming say that he still wants to be traded. So, mm-hmm. you know. I, if you're Duke Johnson, clearly you want to get traded before the season begins. Mm-hmm. Going to another team halfway through the year is is you know puts you so behind, and you're not going to have the kind of impact on the, whatever new team gets you that you know you would have had having all training camp. I, I, Antonio Brown is just a lot better at <laughs> getting out <laughs> of a out of you know there there are players who I think have kind of orchestrated their way out of a team that maybe Duke Johnson could take some lessons from if he really wants to be traded. Um, uh, not showing up at mini minicamp might have been a good step to make, kind of push that forward.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things that I keep coming back to is when you hear Freddie Kitchens, his whole philosophy is all about, uh, you know, everybody being on board and everybody being all about the team. And when we asked him about Gerald McCoy at this minicamp, yeah. he said, if you have any reservations <laughs> about wanting to be here, we don't want you here. And I just, that really stood out to me too, as you know, you got Baker up there saying what he's saying, and then you've got Freddie up there saying, if you don't want to be here, hey, what we're trying to achieve, not everybody needs or should be or wants to be a part of this. We're moving this train along very quickly. And if you're dead weight, you got to get off this train. And I just think... Uh, that that's where things stand with Duke. And again, the only reason why they haven't moved him yet is because they haven't gotten that offer. They haven't gotten the offer. There hasn't been a market for him yet. Everybody knows that he's disgruntled here and unhappy. And people probably think maybe they might even cut him. Let's see how this goes. Uh, But I just don't think it makes sense to even bring him back for training camp.
1: And it, I think that's a big part of it, too, is the offer. I mean, look, if somebody offered the Browns a second-round pick for Duke Johnson, I think they right. would drive him to the airport you know, immediately. Um, but I don't think they're getting that offer. And I think because of that, and I think because he's willing to show up and do what he's supposed to do, and because he can help you, I mean, that's the reality. Whether he wants to be here or not, he can help you. I, I think that's why you stick it out. And the reality is all of this stuff about, well, you're either with us or you're not, is great press conference fodder, but it's not the NFL. I mean, this isn't high school football. This isn't college football. This is the NFL. You're going to have guys in that locker room that are not happy for whatever reason. This team could go 10-6, and and you're going to have guys in that locker room that aren't happy. And they might not say it, but there's going to be guys that aren't happy with their playing time or their touches or their contract or their money, whatever it is. And that's what Freddie Kitchens has to deal with now as the head coach. And John Dorsey knows that. John Dorsey's been around the block. But Freddie Kitchens is going to have to deal with that stuff as a head coach, and the tact so far that he's taken with Duke is: you're here, we've got a plan for you,
0: you're under contract, let's go. Are, are you surprised that he he pointed to loyalty and the the trade being dangled on the trade block is the reason for this, and not the signing of Kareem Hunt?
2: Uh, yeah, I guess I was a little bit surprised about that, but he's a very principled young man, and so you know when you when you look at it. I suppose you know, it makes sense that he felt that he was no longer wanted, and, uh, you know, and that, was, that was it for him. That was the end. That was like, you guys don't want me, I, I want out of here. So uh, we'll have to see how this one plays out. No one really knows for sure yet.
0: Well, here's the next question. Does, how much loyalty does Duke Johnson deserve from the Browns at this point in his career?
1: I don't think, I mean, personally, I don't think anybody deserves, I, I don't. I think loyalty is just a yeah. word we throw around. Uh, I mean, there's no loyalty in pro sports. There really isn't. It's about what can you do for me? Can you win for me? You know, there are extreme cases, obviously, what we've seen in Pittsburgh with Ryan Shazier. That's, that's loyalty, and that's loyalty that he earned, and of course, he had that devastating injury, and the Steelers have done a, a great job of staying loyal to him, and, you know, not cutting ties with him and, and being there for. It. I mean, there are certain situations where extreme situations where loyalty is a word we use. But when it comes to guys on the field, loyalty, we just throw it out there. Teams don't show any loyalty to players. And honestly, players don't show any loyalty to teams. That's the reality of pro sports. The Browns can turn around and cut anybody on their roster tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, so loyalty is one of those words we throw around. I don't think. You know, I don't think players should have to show it to a team because teams don't have to show it to players.
2: You know what? I I think the writing is just on the wall there for Duke, more so than anything. I think he can see that he wasn't even getting the touches that he wanted last year when Freddie Kitchens took over as the offensive coordinator. And now you've got Kareem Hunt, and now you love Dontrell Hilliard. So why are things going to get better for him here? They're not. No. So, I think he, he can see where this is going. I think he sees that somehow he was not, you know, highly favored by them last year. Nothing's changed in that regard. You know, whatever. They don't think that much of Duke Johnson. And for, for all of these reasons, I think it's time to just cut ties.
0: All
1: right, let's go ahead and move on to Odell Beckham um, because obviously the story leading up to Minicamp was Odell Beckham not being there at OTAs. He showed up for mini camp, practiced uh, two of the days, um, didn't participate in team stuff with you know he and Jarvis Landry didn't participate in team things on Thursday. Jarvis, of course, dealing with an undisclosed injury at this point. The question with Odell Beckham now is, when we get to training camp and into the season, will there be any after effects of him not being there during OTAs, missing all those installs, or, or is this still going to be a topic? Is, is there going to be a moment? During camp or something like that where we say, man, if he just would have been there in April or May, that wouldn't have happened. Are are we going to be, is he going to miss a beat because of all this?
2: You know, I think he has some catching up to do. I think he absolutely 100% has some catching up to do in terms of learning the offense and getting his chemistry down with Baker Mayfield. But they they have some time to do that over these over this next month and if they work together if they talk on the phone if they get out there at USC and they kind of get their timing down a little bit because again you know and we've talked about this before in OTAs you're not going to get that many reps consistently but they can really make up for a lot of that time if they didn't have that then I would think yeah they're kind of starting training camp a little bit behind the eight ball but I think he will make up for it in those practices and in studying, and he from everybody that we talked to, he's a very quick study, and he will come up that learning curve very quickly.
0: Yeah, there was a point in the last mini camp practice uh, that we went to indoors, um, and they were doing uh, one on individual throwing drills with uh, uh, the quarterbacks and the receivers. And you know, every time Odell came up, Baker would make sure he's he's the one throwing the ball. And uh, one of the last ones it was kind of an out route towards the pylon and. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was he didn't catch it. I don't know if yeah. he was overthrown or whatever, but after that Baker kind of walked up um towards the end zone cuz they were mm-hmm. moving on to something else and he looked at Odell and kind of gave Odell kind of a juke as if to say like this is how I thought you were going to come out of that. There mm-hmm. was and then they spent probably you know a good 5 minutes standing together in the end zone by themselves yeah. talking. Um so yeah, clearly they they have some work to do. And I think you'd be more concerned if you didn't know that they were gonna go out and, and be practicing together, you know, yeah. over over the summer here and, and working out. Uh so I I'm not expecting any after effects from that. I think, you know, whatever catching up he has to do that's to borrow a term, self-inflicted, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he'll he'll do the extra work and, and get there. I don't think we're going to be going into week one thinking uh, – I'd be surprised if we go into week one thinking that Baker and O'Dell are somehow not yeah. on the same page. Yeah,
2: no, I, I don't think that happens.
0: Yeah, the good news is
1: all these guys live in L.A. in the offseason now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where all, all of these NFL yeah. players go, all these professional athletes go during their offseason. They all, they all live in L.A. now. Um, they're going to work out, like you mentioned, Mary Kay, um, spending time together, not just – you know Odell and Baker but I'd imagine David is going to be there mm-hmm. and I mean there was a whole crew of them last year that's where we first started to see yeah. Yeah. Odell and Baker Mayfield plant those seeds of, of yeah. friendship so um, it, it'll be interesting to sort of see where they are when we, when we kind of come into July and the pads go on and, and the timing really gets going and we get into that first preseason game uh, see where they are timing wise but I do think it's going to be one of those things where you know it You would have liked for him to have been there in OTAs. We've talked ad nauseum Mm -hmm. about this, but I think when when the time comes, when the lights turn on, there's going to be enough time for them to have gotten on the same page because they're going to spend time working out together before camp.
2: Well, think about this, too. Remember uh, Baker saying last year when we wondered why he and Jarvis weren't always connecting uh, during the games, and he said, you know, this is our training camp. You know, we did not have that. He did not get those reps with him during yeah. training camp. So he, they were kind of learning together on the fly. But Baker will have that during training camp now this year with Jarvis and with Odell. So that'll be their time to get all that down.
1: Um, all right, that was a quick one. Let's move on to the next question. We spent a lot of time on Duke. A lot more time than I thought we were going to spend on Duke. So, so let's move on to this next one. Let's talk about these rookie linebackers. Sione Takitaki, Mac Wilson, uh, and challenging for a linebacker position during uh, during OTAs and minicamp, it was a lot of Christian Kirksey and Joe Schobert out there. Interestingly, uh, Darius Taylor was mm-hmm. also working with the ones when they went to the three linebacker groups. We mentioned him in the last podcast. He's going to be a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, um, a guy they signed from Tampa Bay that they really like. Uh, are one of these rookie linebackers going to challenge for a spot? Now I'll go first here. Um, because I've been the one asking the questions and throwing them to you guys. Mm-hmm. So I'll go ahead and throw myself out there for this sure. one. Um, you know, I do think that this is going to be an interesting competition to watch. Um, I, I think one of these guys, is, you know, whether it's talkie talkie or Mac Wilson, it's probably talkie talkie, is going to have a chance to, to work his way up. And I think we're going to see one of these guys take some first-team reps, at the very least take some first-team reps in camp, whether that actually translates to the regular season quickly or not.
2: Well, I think what they really want to do is get these guys in the pads and see who really stands out and who really actually is wrapping up and stopping the run because that is what they need to happen. They don't want guys getting run over, knocked back. Their run defense was not good. They don't want missed tackles. That's what they don't want. So if Taki Taki or even Mac Wilson or Adarius Taylor can step up there and stop the run, Better than some of the guys that did it last year, they will get that playing time, and I think the number one person slated for that playing time is Taki Taki. So definitely keep an eye on him. But like you mentioned, in the base defense, Adarius Taylor is really going to challenge. Also, in part because Jannard Avery has been spending so much time at defensive end, so he's kind of interchangeable there a little bit at D end and outside linebacker. But I think that I think Sione Taki Taki is going to either have a starting job at some point very soon, or he will be part of of a rotation right away and getting a lot of reps.
0: Yeah. I think Taki Taki is the guy who you're going to see more of it. And we don't know how much they're going to show us, uh, or or do in front of, you know, fans and and everybody during training camp. But, you know, during, I could see him being someone they use in different packages and sub packages because he's so fast and, and can move from side to side. And he's you know, obviously a great tackler. So, uh, They've done a little bit with Avery on the edge. They have this uh, scheme at least they, they showed a couple times in, in minicamp where they kinda of pushed Miles Garrett inside and Avery who had been getting a lot of third team reps at defensive end, suddenly he's out there with, with the first team and kind of this uh, wide rushing uh, angle outside Garrett. So, you know, you could you could move Taki Taki around and take advantage of other things that he can do that, you know, not everybody in that line get back in group can do yet.
1: They're going to do some things on third down that are going to be yeah. really interesting this year. Like you mentioned, moving Garrett inside. I don't think they moved Garrett around enough last year, and I think a big part of that was maybe the rest of the line. I know they tried to move Ogba inside a little bit last year. Um, I think they're going to do some really interesting things on third down this year with Garrett because they have Janard Avery now, uh, because they have a guy like Taki Taki, at linebacker they can throw out there who just you know, plays with it. You talk to anybody around, plays with his hair on fire. Um, you know, it's going to be really intriguing to see those third down packages once the season gets started and the different things they do. We never talk about Chris Smith, but he's a really nice extra lineman as well. Um, They've got some options now, uh, now that they've sort of settled that defensive line. with the the starters, the four starters, now they can get creative and and use some of these guys in different packages.
2: And and tackling will be at a premium, not just from linebackers, but from safeties, defense, you know, cornerbacks, Steve Wilks, that is a heavy point of emphasis for him. And again, when those pads go on and who proves they can do that, they're going to get the playing time. Yeah. I'm
0: interested to see how they go about improving their tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously they're, they're really limited on how much actual tackling they can do. A lot of it is limited to these big puffy donuts they roll out and, uh, and, and take down, um, but they got rid of some people who were problem areas with tackling. Um, you know, Jamie Collins, Brian Body Calhoun was not great. Uh, but they still have Joe Schobert, who I believe led the league in missed tackles. Um, and Demarius Randall was not great as a safety. Um, you know, I talked to some of the people, uh, some of the players, uh, about tackling during minicamp, and I got a wide range of things. So Miles Garrett pretty much said, just do it. And other people talked about the mental side of it. Joe Schover talked about angles and making sure that people are in the right position. So, um, yeah, all eyes will be on, on how well that uh, improves. And, you know, Taki Taki, I'm sure they look at as somebody who's hopefully going to ramp that up and, and make a big difference.
1: Okay, last question here. We're going to talk about the right guard position because it was a big topic when we showed up at OTAs and Kyle Kalis was out there starting at right guard. Um, we saw Eric Cush getting some right guard work during mini camp. Austin Corbett was back at right guard as well um, when we were out there at mini camp. So when it comes to Austin Corbett and that right guard job, um, I think a lot of people just assume the Browns were going to throw him out there and see what would happen. That doesn't appear to be the case now. Uh, does he have to win that job? Is it just Obviously that draft last year, hitting on those three of the four picks, Corbett being the one that they didn't hit on in the first and second round, is going to be a win for John Dorsey. But Austin Corbett was the head-scratcher. He was the one where we're like, really? That's who you're picking at 33? Does he have to win that job?
2: Well, you know, I don't think he has to win that job because the most important thing is that you get the best guy out there. And if he's not ready for that yet, then he doesn't have to win that job yet. If he doesn't become a starter until his third year or whatever the case may be, then then that's it. I mean, if one of those guys beats him out fair and square – then you know, then it is what it is. But I think that uh, what they're really trying to do is beat him up a little bit, rough him up. I mean, make him earn that job, get the toughness that he needs, get the hunger and the desire that he needs uh, to work his ever living ass off and go out and grab that job. And they are pushing him and pressing him. He has to play at a high level. Kevin Zeitler was a good right guard, one of the best in the NFL, and. There's a reason those guys only gave up five sacks in the last eight games of the season. Uh, They run blocked well, and they need Austin Corbett to play at a very, very high level. He's also switching from his natural left side over to the right side, so it's a whole shift of his brain. Um, So I think they're really trying to get this guy ready for the job. Hmm.
0: Joe Plutonio talked uh, uh, during minicamp and somebody asked him, like, what are they, what are they doing <laughs> right card? And he's like, well, obviously they want to, they, they want to have versatility, he said. So you want, he uh, want competition to see who, who, who's the guy who kind of rises there and, and can be versatile. But he said, they're also looking for a backup center. Mm-hmm. And so now is the time to kind of experiment with that. And, you know, you get Corbett taking some snaps at second team center, um, you know, I guess, in theory, taking somebody off the starting lineup and moving him over to center similar to what Greco did might be better than bringing someone off the bench because at least you have some sort of continuity with the guys around him and then you just plug in a right guard. I don't know you know I guess I could see how that maybe makes sense. Um, but if Austin Corbett does not win the right guard job, that that pick just becomes a big like it's like a head scratch. He did John Dorsey did so well. And three of those top four picks, and then Austin Corbett is like, it's like you're walking out of a movie. It's a great movie, and then all of a sudden you think, wait, that part made no sense. That's <laughs> Austin Corbett, but you're like, no, nah, that was still a good movie. Who cares? We'll just we're just gonna fudge that. Mm-hmm. So maybe it will just give him the doubt. You know, he missed, but um, Corbett still got time. And I think the fact that he's in this rotation, if he were, if we were just seeing him as second team center, then I think you you know you'd be looking at that pick really is kind of a waste because your second team center probably doesn't play if he plays at all. He's on special teams or he's, you know, in for an injury and that's it.
2: Yeah. Well think about this. When we first heard from them about Austin Corbett after they drafted him, and <laughs> Elliot Wolf was the one that was talking about it, they were talking about him as the heir apparent to Joe Thomas. Oh yeah. They originally <laughs> thought that he could be the next left tackle. And then, kind of quickly on, and even Joe Thomas uttered this uh, after watching him for yeah. a while. They're like, "He's not a tackle. He, he's not a tackle. He's yeah. a guard." And so now, you know, they're trying to find a home for him, and let's see if he can do it at right guard.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's it's sort of a two pronged way to look at it, right? If he's not the starter at right guard, um, you know, for framing it as looking back at that draft, if, if we're framing it in the in the draft pick. Yes, he has to win that job mm-hmm. because he's a second round pick, and your second round pick should be on the field playing and starting by year two. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're looking at it as does he have to win that job for the Browns to win games this year? Probably not, because they have options. You know, Eric Cush uh, started games last year. Um, you know, Kyle Kalis. I, I don't know if he can do it 16 games, but they they have options at that position, so he doesn't have to start for this team to win. But for us to look back at that draft pick and say, yeah, John Dorsey nailed that pick. Well, obviously not. If he's not, two, if he's not starting by year two, then obviously there's question marks about that. Now, maybe there's a world where they let J.C. Treader walk and Austin Corb is your starting center for the next five or six seasons. Okay, then we'll look at that pick differently. But as it is right now, um, he's, he's got to be starting for us to look back at that pick and say, okay, that was a good pick.
2: And I, okay. I do think maybe there is some thought to, can he be the center of the future? You know, I think they're trying to explore that as a possibility. Another name we should mention while we're talking about this is Drew Forbes because they really like Drew Forbes, their six-round pick, uh, and I do think that they believe that he can be their developmental left tackle, possible left tackle of the future, what they originally thought maybe Austin Corbett could be.
1: Speaking of Drew Forbes, time to get to some questions that <laughs> were sent in to Mary Kay Cabot on Twitter as I pull this up on my phone. And we might have some more in here, too, since we we started uh, recording this. But uh, JD uh, asks, what type of impact will Drew Forbes have on the O-line? Will he be able to crack the starting lineup? So that's our first uh, listener question.
0: No, he will not be able to crack the starting lineup. I'm going to go out on a huge limb there and say no.
1: And I think if he does, I think it's a bad thing
0: because that means yeah.
1: that Greg Robinson didn't work out and Chris right. Hubbard didn't work out and Austin Corbett didn't work out and maybe Joel Batonio got hurt or something like that. I think if Drew Forbes is starting and playing a lot this season, it means something went wrong in that offensive line.
2: Yeah. And you know, stranger things have happened. I know they really like him. I know he's coming up, up the learning curve very quickly and they're intrigued about him and excited about him. I don't necessarily see him overtaking one of those guys right away, but I could see it by next year. So I think this year is a a learning year for him. And if one of those guys does go down, I think Drew Forbes is a strong candidate to step in there.
1: Um, here's a question from someone whose username is at (laughs) whooptyhell440. So this guy started his account apparently after the whooptyhell or changed his name or whatever. Um, I'm gonna his question is about Jarvis Landry and if the Browns were to release him, because they, they his contract becomes easier to move on from after this season, how that would mesh with Odell Beckham. I'm actually gonna take his question and take it in a different direction. Um do you really think the Browns would release Jarvis Landry after year two? I mean, is that a realistic people are starting to talk about it, I think, on Twitter, um, because of the structure of the contract. But I just to me, I don't know. Unless he's an absolute disaster this season, and I don't think that's possible because we know what Jarvis can do. He's just going to catch the ball over and over and over again, even if it's for two yards catch. I think he's I think he's a valuable piece to this offense. I don't think there's a world where they move on from him. I mean, I guess there probably is, but I wouldn't see them moving on from him after two years.
2: Well, I think they have to see how this year goes and and how it works out with all the different pieces they have with trying to get the ball to Odell, trying to get the ball to Jarvis. I will say this. They're going to take a long, hard look at everyone's big money because they have to pay Baker Mayfield, Denzel Ward, and Miles Garrett coming up very soon. So if you have a huge contract, you really better be earning it, and they better not be able to replace you a lot cheaper because if they can, then you will be gone. Oh
0: yeah, They have the largest wide receiver payroll in the NFL this season. And, you know, I, th- I thought about this when they both, went, I think we had that press conference where everybody was talking about how great and this is real, and they're finally on the same team together. That kind of works two ways, because now you have guys who are so close, if there are contract issues or, 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 or you're thinking about releasing somebody for, to save cap money, how does that affect Odell? And how does he react to that? You know, hes they've talked about wanting to play together, and this is a dream, and then it lasts a year. And I, I'm, it's like hiring a, a husband and a wife, you know? And and there's the relationship there between those two people, and if you get rid of one, that affects the other. And, I don't know, I'm interested to see how that happens. Because at some point, somebody will have their contract redone, or, like you said, there's somebody was going to get mm-hmm. talked about being released, or traded, or... You know, and and as as Odell has shown, he reacts to a lot of things uh, online. So, um, yeah, that <laughs> mm-hmm. could be uh, some hot water ahead. I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I mean that goes back a little bit to that loyalty question too. I mean, how much loyalty do you show a guy? You've already paid Jarvis Landry a lot of guaranteed money. Um, again, I I do think I, I guess there could be a situation where they decide to move on, but I think they can afford to keep him around at a big number for another season after this year. And I, and I do think. You know, when they traded for Jarvis, that was sort of a that was a shot from John Dorsey saying, "Hey, we're changing the way we're doing business here. We're bringing in this guy who wants a big contract. We're going to trade for him, and we're going to give him the money, and he's going to be the culture changer for this team." I think he's done that, um, and and I think I just think moving on from him after a second year is a little extreme. I think there's a lot of questions we still have in that wide receiver core. Um, what guys? How guys are going to develop, and who's going to emerge? Kind of behind that initial group. Uh You know, I don't know. A lot of the people are talking about it though mm-hmm. on Twitter. I, I hate to say a lot of people, just because I've seen a couple of tweets here and there. But it, it's certainly going to be a topic at some point.
2: Yeah, and and some of it will depend on how Antonio Callaway develops. Does he step up and and fulfill some of his goals? He's talking about a one thousand yard season and ten touchdowns. And you got some young guys like Damian Ratley. Uh, that are developmental receivers. So if those guys come up uh, very quickly and are a lot less expensive, you know, this is a business. And as as you go along, anything can happen.
1: Okay, uh, you guys want to talk about uniforms?
2: Always. Because Seth,
1: <laughs> Seth wants to know, are the Browns going to wear the color rush uniforms as the primary this year? Well, the answer to that is no. But, Scott, we have certainly seen that the Browns are pushing the
0: color rush all over the place this season. Oh yeah, the the, the reaction to it last year. I think uh, how many times did they wear it after that? It was a handful. Um, I think they wore them as many times as they could. Yeah, anything. Uh, I think a lot of the fans see that as a huge step up from the uniforms that they should normally wear. I'm surprised we have not seen Browns throwback uniforms through all this backlash of the uniform change. Uh, why we haven't seen that? It I, I, it just boggles my mind. I If they walked out with, like, 1980 (laughs) Brian Seiper, Bernie Kosar Mm -hmm. era jerseys, you know... I think the fans would love that.
2: Yeah, I do, too.
1: I'm really bad about uniform rules, though. I'm not sure what they are allowed to do and what they aren't allowed to do and and all of that If the
0: Steelers were allowed to wear those prison uniforms, (laughs) the Browns should be allowed to wear some sort of throwback uniform. Well,
1: like, they're limited to how often they can wear the color rush, and they have to wear the primary a certain number. It's really bizarre.
2: Yeah, I can't remember the number of the color rush either. It's like six or something like that. I know, I'm bad about that. I don't even know if it's that high. I don't know. But, um... Somebody in
1: the comments will correct us. Yeah,
2: but they should be in new uniforms the following year. Yeah. So before too long, some things should start leaking out about new uniforms. And and Dan and I will be all Uh. over it, won't we, Dan?
1: Well, we were both at the big uniform release a few years ago. (laughs) I actually wrote a story about how... This is not a joke. You can find it out there somewhere. (laughs) The guys from Nike who designed the uniforms went on and on about what the stitching represented wow. and how it tied things together and why they chose the colors they chose. There's a whole story somewhere in the Cleveland.com archives about them talking about the stitching and what it represents.
2: Well, as it turns out, the stitching is one of the biggest problems with the current Exactly. Because the players complain that it's so restrictive that like they can't move. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Nice job, Dan.
1: And I've, I, so I, I, but We've seen guys in the locker room, too. Now, sometimes this happens because guys are banged up and they can't lift their arms or whatever, but there's guys that like can't get out of their jerseys sometimes. I After games, I'll watch them struggling to, to get them off, and some equipment guy has to come help.
2: And if Carl Nassib were here, you'd be helping him that take is, his jersey. That is up. true. But that's He's out there. <laughs> that's in a, that's in a Potter podcast. for another date.
0: You know what? If the Browns go deep into the playoffs this year, no one's going to care about the uniforms. <laughs> that's true. Like the Broncos' right. uniforms. Like, they were pretty bad during the end of John Elway's era, but yeah. then they started going to the Super Bowl and they won a couple. And uniforms are not classics. Yeah, so. Browns
1: fans are different though. Browns fans and their uniforms are just yeah, they're different. I mean, there's a million mockups out there now about the yeah. uniforms and what they could look like and and all of that stuff. So uh, it's uh, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, they won't. Hopefully they won't have a big event this year at the convention center, and they'll just kind of release the uniforms quietly.
2: But uh,
1: that's not going <laughs> <I doubt laughs> that the to happen. That's not
2: happening. There will probably be a three-part special <laughs> this year.
0: Building the Browns that's
1: uniforms. True. Tomorrow <laughs> we're going to do the home uniforms, and okay. then the next day we'll do the throwbacks. And yeah. Every day at the convention center, come, come see the new uniforms. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, I'm sure if they do, we will have an Orange and or Brown Talk podcast for each day of the uniform release when that happens in the spring. And, of course, we'll try and keep keep these coming to you during the off season. Some of them we're going to be trying to work some time off in and, and things like that. So uh, we'll try to get to as many of these as we can before training camp starts at the end of July. Uh, for Mary Camp Scott, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.